0: <clears throat> okay, today is March the 8th, 2012, and I'll remind you that I, again, I won't be here for Bible class next Tuesday night or for our Young People's Class Wednesday. I'll be at a conference in uh, Houston. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. You all know our SOP, moment of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize this world is not my, our home and we're just passing through. We want to make the most of it as we do. We cannot do that in spiritual ignorance. We can't do it unless we are prepared. So we pray that you will continue to prepare us not only to witness to others and to give them the good news, but also that our lives will exemplify the abundant life that you have for our believers that is free from fear and has a personal sense of eternal destiny. We pray that you will help us to continue to uh, draw on that grace that you have so uh, prolifically given us. So we pray that you will help us to focus this evening, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I was sent an email today that... uh, uh, it's a little unusual. I can't even remember who sent it to me. Uh, the name of it is The White Side of the Story of Negroes. It, has, it it's, uh, <clears throat> says the reason, uh, this is the reason that CNN dropped Pat Buchanan. Uh, I'm, I wasn't familiar with this, but uh, evidently he sent something to our president and He got, um, or he responded somehow, and was taken off of CNN. CNN. Anyway, what makes this interesting is that it's not the the regular line that you hear. Normally, uh, you hear the same old thing every time the race issue is brought up. But this is uh, what uh, Patrick J. Buchanan said uh, to the president. He said, we need to have a conversation about race in America. Fair enough. By the way, he said, that's what our president says, is that we need to have a conversation about race in America. And Pat Buchanan says, fair enough, but this time it has to be a two-way conversation. White America needs to be heard, to, to be heard from, not just lectured to. This this time, the silent majority needs to have its convictions, grievances, and demands heard. And among them are these. First, America has been the best country on earth for black folks. It was here that 600,000 black people brought from Africa in slave ships grew into a community of 40 million, were introduced to the Christian salvation, and reached the greatest levels of freedom and prosperity blacks have ever known. Jeremiah Wright ought to go down on his knees and thank God that he is an American. Second, no people anywhere has done more to lift up blacks than white Americans. Untold trillions have been spent since the 60s on welfare, food stamps, rent supplements, Section 8 housing, Pell Grants, student loans, legal services, Medicaid, earned income tax credit, and poverty programs designed to bring the American, African-American community into the mainstream. Governments, business, and colleges have engaged in discrimination against white folk with affirmative action, contracts, set-asides, and quotas to advance black applicants over white applicants. Churches, foundations, civic groups, schools, and individuals all over America have donated their time and money to support soup kitchens, adult education, daycare, retirement, and nursing homes for blacks. We hear the grievances. Where is the gratitude? The president talks about the new ladders of opportunity for blacks. Let him go to Altoona and Jonestown and ask the white kids in Catholic schools how many were visited lately by Ivy League recruiters handing out scholarships for deserving white kids. And white America really responsible, is white America really responsible for the fact that crime and incarceration rates for African Americans are seven times those of white America? Is it really white America's fault that illegitimacy in African American communities has hit 70% 70% and the black dropout rate from high school in some cities has reached 50%. Is it the fault of white America or uh, that school, let's see, is, is that the fault of white America or first and foremost a failure of black community itself? As for racism's ugliest manifestation is in interracial and especially interracial crimes of violence is the president aware that white uh, white criminals choose black victims 3% of the time black criminals choose white victims 45% of the time is he aware that black on white rapes are 100 times more common than the reverse than black on white robberies were 130 times as common in the first 3 years of this decade as the reverse we have all heard agnosium from the Reverend Al about Tawana Browley, the Duke Rape case, and Jenna. All, were turned, all turned out to be hoaxes. But what about the episodic uh, academic of black assaults on whites that are real? We hear nothing. Sorry, Mr. President, some of us have heard it all before, about 40 years and $40 trillion ago. I'm for a better America, and I'm not a racist, not violent. I'm just not silent anymore. Um, I'm surprised that that even got on the on the internet. Uh, and when we think of this, is not to in any way. I don't think even uh, Pat Buchanan would would allege that the that the blacks have not uh, suffered. Um, Certainly they have, but they're not the only race that has suffered. We all have suffered. And really what's, what's happened, and I, I, I saw this myself because I lived through the 60s, and we have an excellent book in our library, library from uh, Jesse Lee Peterson, which is a black uh, pastor. And he says, he lays the guilt, the fault of these horrendous statistics in the black community Because when the government came in uh, and started handing out money to black families, especially the black women, it said if they don't have a job and they don't have a husband, then they'll qualify for free money. Mm -hmm. When that happened, the black fathers stepped out and the government stepped in, and it's been a train wreck ever since. It won't be until the black fathers start to take their responsibility seriously and step back in and be the head of the house and start training these young men, these young uh, black boys how to be a man, how to be a good father and a good and a good husband. I don't think anything's going to change and it doesn't matter how much money you throw out. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. I haven't heard something like that in a long time. Now, of course, this would be controversial to a lot of people, but Uh, Usually the truth is, as we'll see as we continue uh, in our study tonight, we're going to continue in getting the gospel right and bring up where we're going to be. We've already been here. I'm not going to go over it again. I just want to make sure that there is no loose ends. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 2. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand. How someone could think that this is not referencing believers, I don't know, but some do. By which also you were saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This verse really typifies how important it is for you to get the context of a verse. Anytime someone asks me about the verse and I turn to the Bible, I don't turn to the verse. I go to the verses right before it and the verses right after it to get the context of what this is saying. Now, if you just take this and lift it out of context, then someone could try to say, well, see, you can lose your salvation if you don't hold to the word which you preach, then you believed in vain. You could lose your salvation, or maybe you were just a professor. You just professed Christ, but you really weren't saved. You could make that case unless you kept reading what, what comes after this as well as what comes before. And you'll remember this whole chapter is about the resurrection. And so when it says, unless you believed in vain, that is the condition. That is the only condition that a person could believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and it be in vain In other words, if you have the right object, that's always the important thing. If you have the right object, which is Jesus Christ, and for that faith in Christ to be in vain, there's only one thing. This is the only place I know of in the Bible that it references this, that that is useless if Christ was not resurrected. And he goes on for the whole rest of the chapter to make that case. So when you go to this verse and you put it in context and you say, sure, this is only a... A potential, it's only a possibility. Even though this is a first class conditional clause, it's a debater's technique, he brought this up just so he could destroy it with what he's going to say in what follows. So this is true only if, with the rest of the chapter describes, if Christ believed, I mean, if Christ did not arise from the grave, then we believed in vain. Okay? It's just that simple. But you have to go to the context in order to find that. And this is one of those verses. If you don't have the context, then people can get all out of of kilter. Then we went to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. For this reason, if you look at Hebrews chapter 1, it's all about God's plan and how Jesus Christ is superior to angels. He is the ultimate of the ultimate in everything. That's what it's talking about. And because God's plan is so great for us, He includes us in it. We are participators with Christ, even in the future. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Boy, does that ever... That fits every person in every church that there is. If there ever was a time that you could get distracted, it's now. I mean, people have the Internet. We have just a, a deluge of information every day. And it can get your focus off of what is important. And you have to pay very close attention. When the Word of God is being taught, not only do you have to concentrate then, after it is over, when you go away, you have to start running these things to your mind. Okay, how do I apply that? Why is that relevant for me right now? Am I going to be able to use this and incorporate it in my thinking and look for opportunities that I'm able to stand firm for the faith and give truth to people? You have to concentrate even after you leave. You have to meditate upon this. This is what Joshua said. They were about to cross the Jordan and go into the the promised land that was filled with all these uh, civilizations, these heathens. And what did God tell him? He says, you think about this night and day when you wake up, when you go to sleep. You put them on your doorposts. You put them on your walls. Everywhere you have scripture. You have to. It's not that you go just one, two, three times a week and think you've got it covered. We live in an exceedingly wicked and evil time, and the deception is everywhere. And so we have to continue to pay attention. He look. He doesn't only say pay attention. He says play much closer attention. Now, I'll be the first to, to acknowledge that I am a very spoiled pastor. Because when I look out, especially during a weeknight like this, I look out on this group and everybody is on the beam. They're focusing. I don't see anybody counting the squares in the windows or doing their nails or anything like that. And I know that that's pretty rare. A lot of pastors, when they look out, uh, you know, that's, that's why, let me say, I, I, I digress. I didn't finish that sentence, but this is what I want to say. I would much rather have a group, a small group like this, that are hungry for the Word and they want more and more than ten times this number that are just mediocre and uh, are making sure their nails are clear as the Word of God is being be taught. And so I'm spawned but am still talking to you. See, and I'm sure this is what the writer of Hebrews, he didn't say play attention, He said, and he didn't even say play closer attention. He said play much closer attention to what you have heard. And that means you don't only think about it now, you think about it all the time. You talk about it. I don't know what it's like in your home, but I can guarantee you, well, some of you live by yourself. I guess if you don't have anybody to talk, to doctrine about you talk to yourself or talk to the Lord or something, but if you have even just two in your household, uh, you should be thinking about these doctrines and conjuring up, well what would happen? What would I say if this happened? And how does this doctrine apply? You do all that. How many homes is that being done in America? How many homes talk about doctrine during the week i 'm not talking about talking about the church. You know, we have the box social or that we have this special event or Easter's coming up or I'm talking about doctrine. Those are the ones that pay close attention. Why is that necessary? He says, so that we do not drift away from it. How easy is it, even though we meet more than most folks do, most Christians don't meet as as often as we do, but that doesn't mean there's not a guarantee that we can drift away. In fact, I don't know. I, I'm so glad I can't read your minds. Because there might be somebody, even as attentive as y'all look, that's no guarantee that you haven't already... In your mind. I don't know. Maybe you're out there catching that big bass or trying on that new dress. I don't know. These things can creep into our soul. We don't invite them, but they just show up, don't they? Now, I'm saying... I'm talking about something of which I know. I learned i one of the best teachers there were. And I was sitting in the air and I was concentrating and all of a sudden, I'm just, you know, I'm way over here for all of a sudden. How did I get over there? And he's talking about something and I missed it. I don't even know what he's talking about. I just It's like a shaker. Okay, now, I'm on, I'm on the beam again. And you hope that it lasts a while yet. Oh, you're all smiling. <laughs> so we don't, we don't want to drift away. But this isn't only drifting away in your thought momentarily as the Word is being taught. It's talking about actually drifting away. See, if you don't stay on the beam, if you don't concentrate and continue to get doctrine during the week all this time, then what's going to happen is that you're going to drift away in your soul. And we are like a, a, I don't know a little bobber. Some people call it a bobber, a little cork out in the water, actually out in the ocean. And we are surrounded by evil, negative evolution, human viewpoint, constantly. And so it's so easy to drift away. So we have to make a point of it. And what what's you know I've said this before. There's a saying, it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. You ever heard of that before? It's the same thing with doctrine. It's not how much how much doctrine you learn, it's how much you retain. How much can you actually apply when the pressure is on? How much doctrine can you articulate and explain to someone someone in any given circumstance? That's what it takes to to be a, a, a good and faithful servant, and the enemy is not to drift away. And this is for our believers, by the way. What happened? Did we change sides? All I did was touch the screen. We don't have it all on here, do we? Is it my... my did i did it change the size okay i'm not going bananas again let's try 100. now what happened where am i now oh i got to go down it's still cut off uh let's see what if i go to uh full screen let's see what that does oh we can live with that can't we i mean we can figure that out okay Verse 2, for if the word spoken through angels, and in Galatians 3.19 it's talking about God actually used angels in the Old Testament because there were not enough Bible teachers, uh, prophets and so forth to go around so he would use angels to teach. For if the word spoken through angels and the word, is we would say doctrine, proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, How will we escape, and this is talking about divine discipline, if we neglect so great a salvation? I mean, this is the writer of Hebrews laying it on us. If they didn't get by with it, what makes you think that we can? And I guess it's our culture. People can do just about anything these days and uh, just get a little slapping on the hand or something, get by with so much. Notice the author includes himself. He doesn't say, uh, in verse 3, how will you escape? He's including himself. Because even the writer of Scripture can drift away and get into these um, transgressions. This word uh, drift away is parareo, p-a-r. A R R E O, and it's used figuratively it means to I think of, a, of a, a, a boat tied up at a pier and if it's not tied good and tight what happens? It drifts away. Of course I was telling somebody about a story this weekend I tied a boat up to a dock one time and I tied it too close and when a storm came storm came in and the next morning I went out there and it was sunk. You know, as the tide rises, you got to have enough rope so it will rise. Well, it just held it down and the boat was sunk. So I guess there are times if you don't drift away, you still have problems. <laughs> okay, let's see. Uh, oh, here's another passage that speaks to this same thing about believers uh, drifting off. Hebrews 12:25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those, referring to the first Exodus generation that refused to cross the river, go into the land, if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, who was this? Moses. Much less we will escape who turn away from Him who warns from heaven. So there's no excuse. This is a... underlines the fact that believers, and this is referring to believers, can get off course. You do not judge who is a believer and who is not by their behavior. Most people do, but that's not what the Bible is saying. Hebrew Run describes the phenomenal future of Jesus Christ and believers who look forward to sharing His destiny. He has delivered us out of the meaningless existence of a life without Him. Those who, are, who care nothing about such things will receive a just penalty, which is divine discipline, and maybe even the sin and the death. That's what this warning is all about. And believers typically do not understand this. Things come into their life. They have all types of problems. Now, this is for everybody. Everybody's got problems. But they have problems that whereby they are undone, and they don't know what the problem is. Well, the problem is God's trying to get their attention because they have drifted off course. They've made something else more important in their life than Him, and He will not have it. He is our Creator. This life is all about who and what He is. And we're along for the ride. And you put something before Him, uh, you can do it. I mean, He allows you to do it. He's given you volition. But you always pay the price. The believer's eternal destiny is secure. Their ticket to heaven is guaranteed. They have eternal life, but God expects them to take hold of eternal life. Remember that verse that we, when we were describing that eternal life isn't just the life that we have that goes on and on because we believed in Christ, there's another experiential aspect to eternal life. And when he says take hold of eternal life, that's what he's saying. Don't get drifted off course. Keep your focus. Keep what's really important. Grab hold of it. They, uh, by executing unique spiritual life, Especially designed for his royal family. Believers who ignore uh, their—I don't know what this is. This word. I've been having. By the way, I've been having. You cannot believe the technical problems I've had in the last few days, and they are followed me here now. I mean, all I did was touch the screen. I mean, the little deal down here to move it down, and it all. Let me tell you something. That technology is great when it works. I don't even need to say the rest, do I? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, we're designed to be his royal family. Believers who ignore this do so at their own peril. How do believers neglect their so great salvation? I didn't want to see that. I was going to ask you that. That's one of the things y'all were supposed to do. Remember? No, because that was so long ago. That was was a week ago. How can we remember that? I said, next time, which was a Tuesday, it has to be today, I want you all to be thinking about how do believers neglect their so great salvation? What does that mean? Can you do it? Can you neglect your so great salvation? I know how to keep you from sinning. There. See how great technology is? Okay. I want some hands. How does a... How does a believer neglect his so great salvation? Y'all got any ideas? Y'all are all so perfect you can't even come up with one. Okay, that's number one on the hit parade. That's number one on my list. Negativity towards the Word of God. That's one way, very important way, that you can neglect your so great salvation. And actually, everything that ways that you, or things that you're going to say after that really stems from that. If you if you're not consistently getting nurtured by God's word and you're growing and you're learning things and you're getting excited about this future that is just more than these few years that we have left here. When you when you're on board and you're going like that it's all great. But that requires a, a consistent no particular order. What, what is another way that I know I'm not this isn't for you like but how do you think like it? Y'all can't think of a way, Parents? Failing to pray, that's one of them. God, God. under dick, and they're you all with people, most of you do. Some of you live alone, but what it would it be like if you And here, this is this, the one that created you, created God, the answers. He tells you, pray off to me all the time. Hear it. And what do we do? Mm-hmm. Sorry, too busy. Mm-mm. What kind of, I would say that's a huge dick of a great not have to pay. They they're having a dinner for president in Houston. I think it's tonight. And tomorrow night. Huh? Tomorrow night, yeah. If all I think it's fine that you can get in and maybe it's your picture. the party the other one. And you don't get a there's all the other things about have a nutty of the universe that we don't we can wait for an appointment. And we same we, I'm including me. There's not one of us here praying that we ought to. He wants us that's how you, Can you have a relationship and not talk to somebody? Well, I I mean, because it's so hard to don't pray. A lot of I don't pray. This was all, but it's not weekend. The anyway, uh, I didn't know where the moon or I didn't know where anything was. I'm, this is the miracle. Somebody kept saying, what please? No. That's good, that. uh, but I don't even. It's not the big thing either. And I don't pray. He <laughs> Yet. Uh, failure to communicate. That's right. You can't communicate. You know, whenever you have problems and issues with people, they're never going to be solved unless you start talking, until you start communicating. Isn't that true? That's why they say communication is so important in marriage. And how many times does this happen in a marriage? What's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing. Nothing. Well, it doesn't have to be in a marriage. It be any relationship. They can be the man or the woman or anybody. Okay, give me another one. Witnessing, that's one I got. That's my second one. Y'all are doing good. We got negativity towards the Word of God, failure, failure to witness, failure to pray, uh, refusing to rebound. Um, what else? Huh? No application. Listen, one thing for sure, if you're not learning doctrine, you're not applying it, are you? Okay, what else? Depending on your own works. Okay, I've got that as just, what I've got is using human viewpoint. I mean, that covers a multitude, doesn't it? I mean, if you're not getting the Word and you're not praying, you're not witnessing, and you're not rebounding... Um, you're not taking in the word, then you're gonna be thinking human viewpoint, and you human viewpoint stinketh. Okay, any more? Yes. Yeah. Frantic search for happiness. Yeah. See, when you when people are down, they they want to be up. There's a void inside because it's, there's no doctrine, there's no truth, there's no relationship with the Lord, and they want to be happy. And so they go on a frantic search, and they'll do anything to whatever suits their fancy in order to be happy. And let me tell you something: this life is not about being happy. I remember when I taught the uh, the twelve floors of the divine domain. Y'all, a lot of y'all were here. Remember when we got to the top floor? I still remember one of the first things, one of the first points, major point: if you are looking for happiness. You'll never find it. You don't find happiness by going and looking for it. You find happiness, first of all, with your relationship with the Lord. And second of all, by doing things for others. That's where happiness is. If you think that something or someone is going to make you happy, you, you haven't grown up yet. You're not mature. You haven't figured that out yet. Happiness is being content with what you have. Well, y'all, by the way, y'all did good. Y'all were experts at knowing <laughs> how to neglect their so great salvation. <laughs> Being self-absorbed. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I have, let's see, what else I have here? Oh, I have living under the control of the old sin nature, really the flesh. I'm talking about trying to satisfy your lusts, whatever they are. And we all have lusts. For some it's money, for some it's power, for some it's looks, for some it's sex, for some it's, you know, drugs or who knows what else it is. But we have to keep a lid on our flesh, our desires, because we all have these. And if you, this is a way that we can neglect our so great salvation. How many, this is a tragic thing about drugs, how many young people are out there just experimenting with drugs, and the next thing you know, they burn their brain cells up, and now they can't even learn doctrine. Get our word finished. The Christians right in the year. F- but I'm not too- that it, but off the- so good the bearded. I'll be that doesn't, it's not, it's not about who practice such things. If you come under the uh, influence of anything that starts to control you, you've got a problem. You've got a spiritual problem. Throughout the New Testament, we find verses after verse like this, the one above, that warn believers against drifting away from the truth, our Bible doctrine, uh, they have been taught. Now, the one you can't drift away from something you've never been taught. And I, think, I don't know what the percentage is, but I think the great numbers of believers can't drift away because they've never been taught anything anyway. They've been told a few Bible stories. But as far as the spiritual dynamics of the church age, just say that to somebody sometime. Uh, just bring it up in conversation. Just, you might just say, I'm so glad of the spiritual dynamics that God has given me as a raw family member of the church age. Just blurt it out sometime. And what's going to happen? They'll look at you like you have two heads. You can't be using technical language like that. Let's talk about Daniel and the Lion Den. Sweet Daniel. Our eternal. By the way, this is a quote from Reign of the Servant King, Joseph Dillow, page two twenty-five. Our eternal security either depends solely upon God's guarantee in Scripture. Or it depends upon those guarantees plus our perseverance. If both are necessary, this is not a tension or a symmetry, but a contradiction. If the latter is necessary, that would be you have to rely on God's guarantees plus our our own uh, perseverance. If the latter is necessary, it is salvation by works. You can't call it any other thing. That's what it is. Only an eternal security based upon the promises of God and completely unrelated to the necessity of the believer's perseverance and holiness can possibly be reconciled with the scores of passages which state the freeness of salvation in Christ. All of these warnings that we have. Why are they even there if we as believers will automatically persevere? There is no automatic persevering for anyone. Believers are unbelievers with regards to the good. Now, we can persevere in the flesh, but as far as persevering in doing good in the Spirit and all the other things... That's why the Bible, the New Testament, has warning after warning after warning after warning. And where people miss it, they all think, well, you've got to do all this in order to be saved. No. He's not talking to unbelievers. These are all written. These are letters. These are epistles written to believers. And they just ignore that. Oh, well, this is all about going to hell. The first part of... The 1st Timothy 5, Paul gave instructions how the church was to treat widows. And in the 8th verse, he said the following 1st Timothy 5:8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I've had people come to me and say they were in tears. I, 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 what's the matter? I I just can't, uh, you know, the prices are so high. I I just can't come. I can't. I can't. I can't give or I can't give what I what I ought to give. Talking about giving to the church. I said, well, don't give anything then. If you can't, your family has to come first. And I know this is contrary to where you go to most of these certain denominations, and they will say, oh, you got a time. But what is this saying? If you can't provide for your own, you don't have to be giving anything to the church. You know what God wants for you? From you, He wants your desire to give. That's what He wants. He wants you to have that motivation to give in order to support someone that is some ministry that is on target, in order to show your love and gratitude to Him. That's what He wants. He owns everything anyway. I don't want to get off on tithing. No. I'm just explaining that you need to provide for your family. And there are believers who do not do that. And Paul is saying you're worse than an unbeliever, an infidel. The one who denies the faith is contrasted with the unbeliever, so clearly he was not referring to the unbeliever. How could he be saying, well, somebody will say, well, this says anyone, that's talking about an unbeliever. Well, how can you contrast an unbeliever with an unbeliever? That's what he's doing. He's talking to believers here. He is saying that it is possible for a believer to become worse than an unbeliever. Well, I thought I thought in, in some cases, they say you have to persevere all the way to the end. If you're truly a believer... Well, what business does Paul have writing Timothy and telling them that if you don't support your family, you're worse than an unbeliever? You believers I'm not persevering. Why would he even say that if you automatically persevere? Now, I'm not telling you this to give you an out. I'm not saying, well, since nobody's going to persevere as believers anyway, uh, don't worry about it. Need I go back up to this verse we just had? Look, remember this? Pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Why? So that we don't drift away. And what happens if you don't drift, disab- uh, uh, drift away? If you do drift away, rather, uh, you're going to get into uh, transgressions and disobedience. And if he didn't, if, if the the believers back then that got the information from angels, if God didn't spare them, do you think He's going to spare you? Everybody thinks, oh, when you're a believer, everything is nicey-nicey. Well, we are answerable to an almighty, righteous God who says, be holy for I am holy. Can you be holy if you don't know what holy is? Can you be holy if you don't even have any doctrine? You don't know anything about God. You don't know anything about what He wants to do, what He wants you to do. None of us are going to reach His holiness, but we are to seek an experiential righteousness that can only come through learning the Word, understanding the spiritual dynamics of the Church Age, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit and understand how to get out of carnality and get into spirituality, tap into this power, then we can be on the road to getting holy. And that's what God wants of us. So he's saying it's possible for believers to become worse than unbelievers. Unbelievers. This certainly denies the idea that to be a true believer, you must keep the faith and persevere to the end. Let me ask you a question. And we're just about done. I don't know how your brain is right now, but I'm going to cause it to grind a little bit here. If I ask you, are you going to persevere to the end? You know what you should ask me? Clarification. What are you talking about? Are you talking about positional or experiential? Ah, Okay, now you got me. If I said, are you going to persevere to the end positionally, what would you say? Absolutely. Why? Because it doesn't depend on you. I'm so glad it doesn't depend on us. How about, are you going to persevere to the end experientially? What are you going to say? <laughs> I knew I was going to get silence. <laughs> Everybody goes, Listen. This is one of those times it's okay to say I hope so. (laughs) See, when in the positional part, if you say I hope so, you've got some growing to do. But there's not any of us that can say we're certain. Oh, experientially, listen, I got it wired. I am going to persevere to the end. Well, that's a good sign. You probably won't, because you're an arrogant person. And you probably won't make it because you're dependent on yourself. Now, you might say, with God's help, I will. That sounds kind of, I don't know, I guess get in trouble when I start saying denominations and everything. So I just kind of fluffy, you know. uh, It's true, we need God's help. But for some of us, we... There's not a chance in hell unless God sees me there. And there's not a chance if a person does not keep on taking in doctrine. They're going to lose their eternal sense of destiny. They're going to lose their glow, their vivacious, their their happiness, everything. Their light goes out. But the great thing is that God lets us... We can just acknowledge, hey, our light went out. I can't get it back on. I'm a jerk. I'm, a, I'm one of those hard cases that can't hardly learn very fast. And what happens? The light starts coming up What a great God. Okay, I've got the next verse. It's all ready to go for next time. Why are y'all going like this? Okay, there it is. Okay, that's it. And it's good one. I had fun with it today. So, let's close. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You that we can live this life not based on all the things that are happening each day, the details of life. But we can live our life with an attitude towards the eternal. Because you have given us eternal life. You are the eternal one. We pray that you will help us to focus and help us to keep from drifting away. It's so important that we do all those things that were, were mentioned that, that, that go out, that quits happening once we drift away. We want to stay on target and we pray that you will help us to do so so that we can be good and faithful servants. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.